and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hi, Terry. Hello, Anita. So we regularly receive comments from people who listen to this podcast. And they are in 50 different countries, by the way, which still amazes me. There you go. This week, Sandy wrote, saying, from the bottom of my heart, I thank all the people on this podcast who share their stories. And we do too. Because every single person has something to teach us. Our guests have given us new, clearer language for describing and understanding what it's really like to be in depression's grip. We've learned new strategies and tools to help us stay a step ahead of the slide or to climb out of the pit in less time and with less damage, which is always the goal. They've shared effective ways to prepare for a possible mental health crisis by pre-planning and lining up resources before they're needed. And our guests regularly remind us of the absolute truth that there is nothing weak or even especially unusual about having a mental health challenge. Today's guest, Lacey, was a teen whose depression and suicidal thoughts were so pervasive that she did not know if she would live past the age of 16. Mm. She is now a social worker helping others who struggle with their mental health. And she shares about her family's avoidance of talking about depression until she opened the door, which ended up revealing a previously unshared family history that, in her words, allowed her to have hope for a future. So here now is Lacey in a conversation we recorded a few years back, giving her voice to depression. First of all, thank you for taking a break on your break to talk to us. And if you don't mind, I'd love to start with you telling us about your 14-year-old self. Oh, yes. Oh, 14-year-old Lacey. Man, she was she was so full of spirit and also very scared um, because um, I was really lost when I started feeling the symptoms of depression and anxiety. And in fact, I didn't even know what they were really when they were happening to me because mental health was just not talked about in my home. Um, it wasn't that it was shamed, but it was more of just that my parents didn't have the tools to talk about those kinds of things. And Lacey describes her childhood as stable and secure, with none of the so-called big T traumas. So when she started experiencing symptoms of mental health disorders, her mother and her friends were really confused. 
So before 14, I was very energetic. I was very outgoing. I was an extrovert. And then those symptoms hit and I was a completely different person. I turned into an introvert. I stayed in my room um, all day, every day, just leaving to go to school. Um, And my friends were very confused because they loved me for my extroverted self. And I was getting questions from my friends like, why why are you acting so strange? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? They couldn't understand either. To try to gain some understanding, Lacey sought professional help. So what symptoms or situations brought you to a therapist's office at that time? Um, I would say it was the uncontrollable crying about everything. I was always a highly sensitive person. I still am. And I'm very proud of my highly sensitive person label. Um, but you know, back then it wasn't, it wasn't just that I was sensitive. It was that I was crying about things that were happy. I was crying about things that were anger inducing. I was crying when nothing was happening. Um, and so that was the most concerning thing to me. To Lacey, but others saw it differently. My mom would tell you that the most concerning symptoms were that I stopped eating. Um, I would say I was also diagnosed with bulimia at that time. It was just another symptom of the depression that I was going through. Um, So my mom would tell you that my symptoms look like me not eating, me having no expression on my face, me pulling away from everyone in my life. Um, And because I didn't have anything that really like in my environment that was triggering this, it was none of it made sense. My moods never made sense. If the sound of someone nodding their head while listening to a podcast was audible, we suspect we'd hear a lot of it right now. Because people with depression know our moods often don't make sense. That's one of the things that makes them so hard to explain and experience. And so I had never, I had known no one in my life at that point that had actually gone into therapy. So it was a very, very terrifying experience for me. Um, and no adult had ever asked me how I was or asked me to describe my depression. Before that, it was that everyone was avoiding asking me that. So it was a very opposite experience to what I was experiencing before going into therapy. It was very life changing for me. Life-changing, she says, to have someone listen, understand, and validate what's going on in your mind and body. Oh, very much so. And I think it was, I mean, my first therapist was the first person to tell me that your physical health is, and your mental health are just as important as each other. Um, and I'd never heard that before. Uh, I'd, I'd never he- even heard uh, that mental health was important, period, <laughs> let alone as important as physical health. Lacey was lucky that her first therapist was a good one, who was able to connect a lot of dots for her. It's not just you being a 14 year old, because that's what I was told up to that point. You know, I was just this is you're just feeling this way because you're you're an angsty teen um, and all teens feel this way. Right. And so when I went to the therapist's office and she was like, what you're describing to me is not a normal teenage experience. You deserve to be happy. And that was just something I had never heard before. I thought that, you know, everyone else was going through it too, just were better at hiding it than me, I guess. Um, But, you know, she really reassured me that everything I was experiencing should I should not have to tolerate. Um, So that was the first time I had learned that, which was really, really important um, to the rest to the rest of my experience in mental health. Really, she set a really good foundation for me. From that foundation, Lacey started learning which tools worked for her. 
uh, first and foremost would say that when I entered into therapy, it wasn't just with a psychotherapist, it was with a psychiatrist as well. Um, and they were in the same practice and worked with the same clients. So it was kind of, you know, they were um, tag teaming this, the, all their clients, which was wonderful. Lacey believes her depression is largely due to a chemical imbalance, as evidenced by the fact antidepressants work well for her. Still, she had the common and frustrating experience of having to experiment to find the right meds to manage her conditions. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it all went away. Um, I, I also had my own struggles with finding which antidepressant worked. I would say it took four or five years of on and off different medications until I found something that worked for me. Um, but that was that was one of the main things was she she heard my story and was like, you're right. It doesn't make sense that you would feel this way because it sounds like you do have a pretty, pretty happy and content life. Um, and so once I was put on antidepressants at that age, it was discovering the balance of what it means to live holy and emotions. Right. Um, I think one of the major things in that journey for me was recognizing that it's not about completely getting rid of the sadness and it's not about completely being happy all the time. Um, it, you know, really holding space for each of those things and not allowing the people in my life to make me feel as though that those feelings shouldn't exist. Self-acceptance versus self-judgment. But up until that point, I felt like that was that was something wrong with me. And then through that therapy experience, I learned like that's just a part of who I am and I need to hold space for all that. And so it was it, that above everything was one of the most important lessons I learned into getting where I was. Lacey pauses here to share that just as with finding the right medications to manage our mental health, finding the right therapist might also take some patience and effort. This is what I tell people literally all the time because people will go into therapy one time, have a therapist that they don't connect with, and then be like, well, therapy is not for me. Um, and I have to say, you know, you're not going to like every single person you meet. It's the same thing with therapy. Um, it's, it's a relationship. And if you don't trust that person, if you don't feel connection with that person, then no, it's not going to go anywhere. And sometimes you have to shop around to find the person that's going to work best for you. Um, and throughout my life, I've known that to be true. I've gone in and out of therapy with therapists that I've loved, therapists that I have not loved so much, and even therapists where I've gone out and been like, wow, I, I'm really concerned that that person is helping people for a living because I, you know, would come in out of those experiences feeling nothing but more shame. And of course, therapists aren't the only people that we can have paradigm shifting conversations with. Lacey discovered a huge piece that had been missing from her personal puzzle when after breaking the ice in therapy, she decided to share with her paternal grandmother. So she ended up telling me that she had struggled all of her life with depression and that her mom had struggled her whole life with depression and that my dad had gone through periods of depression that I had never known about. Um, and it took away this big, this the big blanket of shame that I felt within my family. Um, it just like lifted and was like this big epiphany moment of like, wow, the people that I, the person that I love most, my Oma, what also struggled with the same thing and she was still 
still very happy in her life and was able to live a very full life because at that time, like my depression was so pervasive and deep that I didn't know if I was going to make it past 16. Honestly, I was, you know, it wasn't just depression. It was suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts. I I never created a plan, um, but I was self-harming. And so I just at that age could not have pictured my life long term like that. And so when I heard the woman that I admired most say that she has gone up and down with it her whole life, I suddenly felt hope for the first time that it, like if she could do it, I could do it because she didn't have the resources that I did. I had more than she had. And if you know she could do it with what little resources she had, then I could do it. Um, so that was the beginning of, of hope for me, I believe. The beginning of hope learning that it's not your fault you have depression and that others with it are leading full and good lives, even people in our own circles or families who we admire and trust, something we learn only by speaking openly and shamelessly, as Lacey now does as a social worker. From working the jobs that I've worked, I have discovered that vulnerability is the most most precious thing that humans have and is the easiest and best way to connect with others and that it's very it's very little of time that i've that it's been a negative thing for me you know the the good with vulnerability has vastly outweighed the negative um so i I just can't imagine ever going back to a place where i wouldn't want to share those jobs have included working as a substance abuse counselor providing on-site services for people with severe mental illness and now as a social worker for people who are homeless And we wondered what Lacey has learned about the sometimes fine line between being mentally healthy and mentally unwell. I just wonder what what you know, because you've been both places, as opposed to somebody who's only been a therapist or somebody who's only been a patient. That's a fascinating question. Um, (laughs) That's a really good question, what the line is there. It's, it's so funny because I, w- I would say that every single person at some point in their life suffers with some sort of mental illness, just like every single person suffers from some sort of physical illness at some point in their lives. Um, and so, you know, the line there is just is such a blurry one. You know, looking at it as illness, I see somebody who's ill as somebody who's not receiving support who's not addressing the things that are popping up in their lives that are sending them into chaos Um, because that can be that can be such a plethora of things on the spectrum of mental illness you can suffer through a week of extreme anxiety and be ill during that period of time and then come back out of it the next week but i feel like putting sometimes the label of mental illness can scare people away from getting that support because they they don't feel like they want to be labeled with a disorder and lacy says that has prevented a lot of her professional coworkers from seeing the bigger picture um when you're so focused on labeling somebody with a disorder that you're not seeing their symptomology symptomology for what it is which is just like a normal human reaction to inhuman circumstances that are going on in their lives. Um, A lot of the times that mental health, mental illness thing, because everyone has a mental health and therefore I think everyone has mental illness at some point. I think they're one and the same, I guess is what I'm saying. (laughs) 
So, Terry, I love Lacey, and <laughs> I was really, really so struck by what happened when her grandmother shared her personal history oh. of depression and then the family history, depression with her. Right. And just the impact it had on her. And I do wish that more families were open and shared, like, here's the family mm -hmm. mental health history, you know, because sometimes you'll say, you know, we have a family history of thyroid issues or, you know, diabetes or arthritis or whatever. But I would love for families to get in the habit of saying, this is what's in our family tree, yep. because it would make it so much easier, you know, for you mm -hmm. to monitor to when when things are, are revealing themselves to not be thinking that I don't know what this is. And instead, you've already got a context to, to place it within. And I think there'd be less shame, right? Oh, because yes. you're, you know, you'd think, oh, this is this is in my family. Now yes. I have this. Apparently, I have high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. I eat well. I exercise. Whatever. But because of my genetics, I have this. And you don't blame yourself for it, which you can. Yes. Yeah. No shame. No blame. I think yeah. has much more of a chance of happening if people were sharing. Absolutely. Another thing I just loved was when she said that one of the major things in her journey was recognizing that mental health is not about completely getting rid of the sadness. It's not mm -hmm. about being happy all the time because no one is. And all our emotions are on a spectrum. And Lord knows we can get pretty stuck on the dark end. Mm -hmm. But even within that, there's variation. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something I think as a therapist that I get very clear in talking with clients about in terms of like, well, what's what's the goal? And it's not to be happy. It's not to be happy, certainly not happy all the time. And instead we, you know, and I know other guests have talked about a goal of reaching contentment, mm -hmm. which is being okay with whatever is in the moment and, and being able to know what to, you know, how to manage it, how to, if it's mm. a wonderful moment to enjoy it, if it's a tough moment, how do I cope with it? So contentment over happiness as a goal, mm -hmm. I think, is, is, is really good. I'm surprised how often the word joy is used, you know, when you define like anhedonia, you know, and it's mm -hmm. an inability to experience joy. And I think, joy? That sounds like <laughs> such a high bar to me because even when I'm not depressed, I don't, I wouldn't use the word. It's like, oh, today was joyous. You know, I, I'd ever, ever, that just seems huge. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of surprised. No, I think mo moments of joy. Yeah, moments of joy, I think, are normal. And I think a lot of people maybe think there's something wrong with them. Because, like you said, on, even on a, on a good day, you're like, I didn't experience joy today. Um, we're not supposed to. You know, joy, joy really is one of those, those things that comes in, in tiny little, you know, tiny little moments here and there. So again, you know, happiness and joy, mm -hmm. um, not meant to be constant states and not even meant to be something that we experience every single day. Um, mm -hmm. so again, that mm -hmm. sense of it was an okay mm -hmm. day, you know, and I can be okay with that. That's contentment. That's, that's doesn't have to be a ding on you if you, if you weren't happy today, <laughs> much less joyful. <laughs> Oh, and, and not even an okay day. I mean, there are days it's okay to have gotten through the day. Oh, yes. And I have I have those <laughs> with some regularity, mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful when they end and I can go back to bed. But that's okay. Of course, mm -hmm. we want to feel better. Of course, we want to be something approaching happy. But I like your word content, because I can be content okay. with an incredibly below average day if oh, yes. I got through it and it ended, you know? 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we get the treat of having Lacey back next week, too. So this was more about her family story and her background with mental health issues. And then she sort of pivoted during our conversation and started talking about what she has learned helping people step through their recovery from various conditions. And it is also a very interesting conversation, and I hope you'll join us for it next week. Yeah. Speaking of inviting, we not only invite you to listen next week, but we want to invite you to our Facebook community. If you're on Facebook, just look for Giving Voice to Depression. And if you ever have a comment about an episode or recently we've been getting a fair amount of people telling us episodes that they would like us to do in the future, you can go to our website, givingvoicetodepression.com, and you'll see a red record button and click it. And you can send us basically a voicemail and I'll respond. We'd love to hear from you. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.